Lord, we're just so thankful and grateful to come into your presence and fellowship. Lord, as we sing this song, just open up our hearts, open up our eyes to see the things that you are doing in our lives today.
Blessed be God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be His kingdom, now and forever. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. We praise thee, we bless thee, we worship thee, we glorify thee, we give thanks to thee for thy great glory. O Lord God, heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sitteth at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For Thou only art holy, Thou only art the Lord, Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, art most high in the glory of God the Father. Amen.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray this scarlet together. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we in the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our first reading comes from Jonah, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, And God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 62. We'll read responsibly by the asterisk. Truly, my soul silently waits for God. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. How long will you attack a man? They only consult to cast him down from his high position. My soul, wait silently for God alone. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. In God is my salvation and my glory. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. Surely men of low degree are a vapor, men of high degree are a lie. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, 
Our second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. The word of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord according to St. Mark. St. Mark chapter 1 beginning in verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father's ebony in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So as we begin this morning, I was struck by the psalm that we just read. I don't know if you were paying attention, but I just want to read a couple verses. I think it speaks to our time really eloquently. So to him who has ears, let him hear. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. If any of you are afraid as you look out onto the world, or angry as you look out onto the world because things seem to be going the way that you don't think they should, Remember this, that power belongs to God, right? And what did he say? He said, men of low degree, I can think of a few men that I consider of low degree, they're a vapor. And I can think of some men of high degree that are a lie. It applies pretty perfectly to some of the situations you might be seeing in the world. But God reminds us that they are like a vapor. 
They don't weigh anything on the scales compared to the power of God. So let's make sure that we put our trust where it belongs. He even says if riches increase, if you are blessed, don't put your hope in that. Remember that power belongs to our God. Today we're going to talk about a story, a really subversive story. Subversive is like a really cool word, like in literature class. It's like that narrative so subversive, like it's so cool. Well, you know, the people who did it first and best, in my opinion, were the Hebrews in the Old Testament. They wrote some of the best, most subversive stories around. And what that means is it takes your expectations and it flips them. It subtly challenges you to think differently. And the story of Jonah and the whale does that. I want you to listen as we read through this. We're going to read through the entire story of Jonah today. You guys are going to read an entire book of the Bible in church today. It's going to be fun. You can go home and tell your friends, hey, we read a whole book of the Bible. But the point of the story of Jonah is to make you think differently about the world. We often like to put ourselves in a position when we read scripture where we would have done better than the person on the page, where we think of ourselves as so much better than that, oh, that dumb disciple, he didn't even believe that Jesus could save him, or that that dumb person in this story who didn't listen to God. But the challenge I want to give you today is as we read this story, imagine that you are Jonah. And the cool thing about it, right, is when they wrote this story, the prophets in the Old Testament were sacrosanct. They were considered the top of the tier in the culture of Israel. And yet, throughout the story of Jonah, again and again, the enemy, the villain of the story, is Jonah. So, when we start thinking of ourselves, us good Christians who go to church on Sundays and who love the right politics and who are so smart about how Jesus, you know, has taught us and we're going to heaven, let's just remember that there's a point to the fact that throughout the Bible, those people are often criticized. Those people are often set up to fail in the stories. Let's look at this not as a story about some random guy in the past, but about a story of our own heart and how we respond to the purposes of God. All right, let's read through this. Jonah's call is where we're going to start. First thing you want to know about Jonah is he's a prophet. Like I said, he's, like a, he's a celebrity in his day. He would have high ranking in the power of the religion at the time. He would be the person who's paying his tithes, who's going to church, who leads a home group who is reading his Bible every day. He's the guy that you look up to and that you look to for direction. He follows the law of God. But then God pushes him outside of where he wants to go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now I love this, right? Because how many times did you have to say the word Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord? The guy's trying to communicate something here. If you're looking at a map of the area, Nineveh's here. Israel's here. And Tarshish is like Timbuktu. I mean, it's not even on the map. It's, he's looking for a way to escape the call of God on his life. 
Now, why is he doing this? It's a, it's a good question, especially if you don't know the area, you don't know the story. I know you guys have heard it probably from the Veggie Tales, right? Veggie Tales, Jonah and the Whale. It's a great movie. But, or you've heard it in Sunday school. So you kind of get the idea. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because those people are evil. There's a culture there that's powerful. They have all the money. They have the military might. And they are evil. In our day, they might be the people who get abortions. They might be the people who sleep around. They might be the people who are drug addicted. They might be the people who are using their power to extort the lowly and the oppressed. They might be the political party you don't like. Think of the worst people that you think of on a daily basis. That's what Nineveh was. It was a symbol of evil. And, and God says, I want you to go talk to them, and I want you to tell them, not only does he want him to talk to them, he doesn't want him to stand on the street corner with a sign that says, Jesus loves you. He wants him to tell them, hey, you're going to be destroyed. God's going to kill you because you're wicked. That's a hard challenge. I argue that there's three reasons why Jonah, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Number one, because he was scared. Could you imagine going to a place and telling them, hey, you're going to be destroyed? Let's say, imagine back when Saddam Hussein was in power. Let's say God told you, go to Baghdad and tell all the people in Baghdad that I'm going to kill them if they don't turn from their wickedness. How many of us would sign up for that trip? It wouldn't happen. That's scary. Every one of us would be thinking about the many ways that we could be killed if we decided to go to Baghdad. So he's scared to follow the prophecy of God. And number two, this one I want you to think of, The Hobbit. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie or if you read the story, but the best part of this whole story comes in the very beginning. And it's when Gandalf's trying to convince Bilbo to go on this adventure of a lifetime. And Bilbo doesn't want to do it. He's like, I'm comfortable. I have my tea three times a day. I get two breakfasts. I have my lunch, my supper, my dinner. You're uh, disrupting my normal routine, my life that I've built for myself of comfort. Jonah was comfortable in Jerusalem. He had respect. He had esteem. He had his routine. He knew what to expect day in and day out. He had built a life for himself that was comfortable. In our day and age, we might talk about the person who has the great job, and they get to go home, and they get to have their dinner, and they get to watch their favorite movie, and they get to get up again and drive their nice car. They found ways to be comfortable with their life. There's only one problem for Jonah. God has a better plan for him than he has for himself. There's a call, a world that needs him, a city that needs his particular prophetic gifting. The thing that God has called him to do. And God is this amazing, I, I, can't, I can't describe how amazing it is, but he wants to use you and me to accomplish his purposes. He could write it on the wall. We've seen him do that before. He could have a big fiery message in the sky for Nineveh. Turn back. But instead, he wants to use a person. And not only does he want to use a person, he wants to use a coward who we're going to find out doesn't even like the Ninevites. That's the third reason why Jonah doesn't want to move, because he hates the Ninevites. We'll find that out later. So not only does, is he scared to go there because he doesn't want to die, he doesn't want to move because he's comfortable in his life, but God's giving him a command that he doesn't want to follow. Like I said, 
He sounds like a lot of us. Let's not get distanced by the difference of this story, the, the drama of the story. Let's remember that God asks us to do things every day. God asks us to walk with him every day. And maybe we don't because we're scared. Maybe we don't because we're comfortable. And maybe we don't because we just don't want to. Because we don't like what he's asking us to do. In our culture, are you afraid to speak the truth that God has taught you? Are you afraid to talk with your coworker about the truth of how God has taught you to live your life, of who Jesus is? Are you afraid to post on social media about who God is and how he's impacted your life? Are you afraid to share your story? I don't think we're that different from Jonah like we like to think. But you know what? God is actually kinder than Jonah's failures, than Jonah's weaknesses. The kindness of God is stronger than the weakness of this man. So when Jonah takes this ticket to the farthest place he can get from the will of God, God does some wonderful things. He hurls a great wind upon the sea, and there's a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship is threatened to break up. And the mariners are afraid, and they cried out to their gods, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Could you imagine? These are skilled sailors. This is their job. And they're literally throwing their livelihood, their money, the cargo that they're meant to carry overboard because they're afraid they're all going to die. That's a storm to fear. And yet Jonah's in the bottom of the ship sleeping. How many of us wake up in the midst of a storm that we never saw coming? How many of us, when we're running from the purposes of God, or when we stop listening to the guidance of God, and we do it our own way, we become blind to the things that God would have given us warning of? We don't even notice that our whole house is collapsing around us. You hear that story again and again in divorce stories where the man comes home and his wife has divorce papers and he says, I never knew there was a problem or I never knew it was that bad. He fell asleep when he was called to remain awake and alert. When you follow your own will, when you follow your own way, you dull your senses to the ways that God wants to lead you. God is the shepherd who leads us beside the still waters. God is the one who, even when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to be afraid. And yet, if you turn off the will of God in your life, if you turn off the voice of the Holy Spirit, if you refuse to seek him and look for his guidance, then you might wake up in the valley of the shadow of death. And that's a scary place to be. So the, the mariners come down, right? And they, the captain comes to him. He goes, what do you mean, you sleeper? What are you doing? Who are you? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Still, in that moment, Jonah wakes up in the midst of the storm and the humility of this captain who's saying, just call on your God. I just don't want to die. Still, Jonah doesn't speak up. He's called out in the midst of running from the God of Israel, who we know he believes in. Everybody's going to die on this ship, and Jonah doesn't say a word. There's two things here. Pay attention. It matters that you're listening to where God wants to leave you, lead you in your life, because in the midst of the storm, you don't want to be asleep. And the second thing, when you realize that your life's falling apart, 
speak up. Speak up. Own the places that you've led yourself. Own your responsibility and ask for help. The next thing they do, the mariners are losing their minds because they're all going to die. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come from us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where is your country? And of what people are you? And finally, Jonah stands up and he owns it. He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This is kind of funny, right? Because you can imagine the wake up call because he says, I fear the Lord, but he's also running from God. And he says the Lord made the dry land and the seas, but he's on the sea running from God. Obviously, the fear came when the storm came. He didn't have fear when he booked the ticket to Tarshish to run from God. But the fear of the Lord came upon him in this moment when the lots finally say, Hey, Jonah, this is about you. Wake up. He goes, Oh, yeah, I'm afraid of this God. What is this that you have done? The sailors ask him, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So he owns his responsibility. And this is the turning point in the story of Jonah. This is the point where we see, oh, he is a prophet. He does have some wisdom. He's going to turn and he's going to forsake his wickedness because he admits this is my fault. And they ask him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea continued to grow more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Okay, good job, Jonah. Yay, you got it. Not only did he get it, he was willing to make the sacrifice for the sake of this ship. He says, throw me into the sea that you might be saved. Now, this is where you see the genius subversiveness of this narrative. You see the the way that the author is helping us to see this dichotomy, the holy man Jonah, the stubborn one who fell asleep and ran from the presence of God, is now confronted with the humility and the compassion of these pagan sailors. Because even when Jonah says, it's my fault, throw me into the sea, they don't want to throw him into the sea. They try and save his life. In Jewish culture, it'd be similar to the story that Jesus told of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. It's confronting the idea that these Jewish people have that because we serve God, we're so much better than everybody else. Instead, God says, look at the compassion of these sailors who even when they know that Jonah, by disobeying God, has endangered their life, they seek to save him. But God has a better plan than even these compassionate sailors. Instead, he lets the storm keep coming, and finally they're like, okay, fine. And they throw Jonah into the sea, and they ask God, God, Do not let us perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. The people in this story who know what God is saying, they're not the prophet. They're the sailors, right? And they throw Jonah into the sea as it pleased God. And they humbly ask that God doesn't lay innocent blood on them. And then the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Now that's a God I want to serve, a God who can start a storm and stop a storm. They all give up their pagan gods, and they say, man, this is the God that we serve. Hmm. 
There's so many contradictions in this story that the writer is trying to challenge us in our own prejudices. How humble are we when we're faced with the power of God in our life? Do we make our proper sacrifices, make our vows to the Most High? Do we notice the power of God in our life? And I want to say one more thing about this. Jonah's hidden sin affected everyone on that boat. Don't pretend that your hidden sin isn't going to affect the people around you. That's not a guilt thing. That's not, hey, you are terrible because you have this hidden sin. It's an encouragement to deal with it. Come to God. He is faithful and just to deliver us. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sin. Don't let a hidden sin take out you or your family or your friends or the people you're with. And when you operate outside of the will of God, you're going to run into the discipline of God. Make sure that when tragedy befalls you, you don't write it off as basic misfortune or bad luck. Be willing to ask the tough question. God, is there something you're trying to speak to me through this situation? Now, of course, tragedy happens. And I'm not saying that if something terrible happens, it's God trying to punish you. I'm saying that God will use even your worst situations to make you into who he wants you to be. So look for the discipline of God within the difficulty. It says in Proverbs 3, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I get it. I hate disciplining my son. It's hard. I mean, occasionally it's a little easy, right, because he's really annoying, but I'm joking a little bit. But there's this place where you don't want to bring discipline into your son's life, pain and difficulty, but you do it because you love him. If you really love him, you will discipline him. And yet we think that God should be this, you know, happy-go-lucky guy who only deals out good things the way that we see them. We need to be willing to listen for the discipline of God because he's way more concerned with your ultimate character, your eternal, your lifetime of character, than he is with your immediate circumstance. Be willing to ask God what he wants to speak to you in your difficulty. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this is the most fascinating imagery in this story. And people have made movies and images, and I love the idea that Jonah gets swallowed by a whale. I mean, it's unfathomable. That was like too many bowls, but unfathomable um, that he was swallowed by a whale and lived for three days and three nights in a watery grave, right? But Jesus takes that imagery out and he says, you shall be given the sign of Jonah, prophesying that he would die, be in the grave for three days and rise again. Why is that important? Because what he was telling the Jews was, my story is similar to the story of Jonah. And when I rise from the dead, do you know who's going to repent? Those evil Ninevites, the evil Gentiles. And do you know who resisted the Christian faith? The Jews, God's chosen people. What a tragedy. He was trying to wake them up, like look for the sign of Jonah and be with the Gentiles and repent. He who has ears, let him hear. The sign of Jonah is that God is calling you to repentance. And even though you're the chosen one of God, you're the Jews, who repents in this story? The Gentiles. 
Now, there's a lot of theology that gets worked out of that. Paul takes that and runs with it, and he writes some really amazing things. But the reason you and I are here today is because of the repentance of the Ninevites. Symbolically, the repentance of the Gentiles who accepted Jesus Christ. I'm not Jewish, and yet because of Jesus' death and resurrection and the people in the first century A.D. who believed in Jesus, they started a faith that now has been passed down for generations. People have died that you might know that Jesus loves you, that you might know that there is hope and that God has a plan for us in this world. God's got this remarkable unity, if you look at the Bible as a whole, where all these stories are playing into every other story. And you know what? Although we don't have a written record the same way we do in the Bible, but your story is woven in with each of the stories that we read. You're a part of this story that we read. So Jonah has his good moment, right? He tells the sailors, throw me overboard that you might be saved. And then he continues his repentance as he's caught up in the belly of the whale. You've got to imagine that this guy's thinking, okay, God's doing something weird. God's doing something, and I need to respond. And he actually responds correctly. So let's read this response. He's in the belly of the whale, and he calls this out. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said again, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Throughout this, I want you to notice that he is praying as though his prayer is already answered. There's a prophetic moment here where he says, I shall again look on your temple. This is a guy in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the ocean. And yet he still has faith that he will see again the temple of the Lord. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars are closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There's so much in there that we can unpack. I'm just going to say one thing. When you're in the belly of the fish, don't cling to your idols. When you're in difficulty... Don't cry out for money to save you. Don't cry out for your job to save you. Don't cry out. Don't try and do it on your own strength. Don't idolize yourself and your own abilities. Humble yourself. Come before God and believe that he will answer you. That's why we sing this song, right? Your love never fails. The wind is strong. The water's deep. I'm not alone here in the open seas because your love never fails. That song's inspired by stories like this in the Bible. In the midst of the difficulty of a storm, we can still count on God to save us. Have hope. Because you know what happens next? The Lord speaks to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. God's salvation may be different than what you're looking for. You might be vomited out of your difficult situation. It might be messy. But you know what? We can trust that God's purposes are still Better That he's using even that moment of excruciating difficulty to bring us to the place he wants us to go. What hap- how you respond in the belly of the fish will determine 
the rest of your life. When you're in those moments, that's what determines the rest of your life, how you respond there. And so God, you'll see, God's able to use that experience to transform Jonah into a person who can accomplish the purposes that God has set before him. All of a sudden, this arrogant, cowardly man who was running from the purposes of God, when God calls to him again, he gets the point. Oh, I should go do this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the words of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What happens next? Does he get murdered? Does he get locked up? No, miracle of miracles, and the people of Nineveh believed in God. They put on sackcloth, and they, put, they called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now that sermon, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, in Hebrew, that's five words. Jonah speaks five words, and a city is brought to their knees. Do you know why? Because it was the word of the Lord that he spoke. And do you know where that power came from? Because he was transformed in the belly of the whale. Because he now knew the fear of the Lord. When he spoke to a city about what God was going to do, they knew the fear of the Lord. You can't give what you don't have. God grew the fear of the Lord in him. In fact, I think God chose Jonah over another prophet because he knew Jonah would run the other way. And he knew that in the midst of his journey, he would experience a storm and the belly of the whale, and he would be transformed into someone who, above anyone on the earth, could preach the fear of the Lord. He had a story to tell. And because of that story, because of the ways that God used the trials in his life, he was able to transform a nation, a city, a people. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone who turns from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand, for who knows... God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And man, do you know that that was the sweetest incense to God? That that repentance had an amazing effect. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What I think about when I think about that is that God loves you so much that he will keep testing you until you turn and repent. If there's a place in your life that you haven't submitted to God, then he will keep bringing the word of the Lord into your life, and you will have opportunity after opportunity to turn that over to him. These people were given up for dead. It's an evil city. We have so much cynicism about our nation and our culture. We have so much cynicism. We don't, if somebody said, yeah, God told me to go preach to L.A., that they would repent. We would be like, don't go there. That's not a good place. Why don't you go preach somewhere holy? Why don't you go preach in the synagogues or the 
temples or the churches. Why would you go preach on the streets of L.A.? That's a terrible idea. Or what if, we, what if somebody said, I'm, I'm supposed to go preach to Gavin Newsom? Let's have him repent. We would not believe it possible that someone like that could turn from their wickedness. Right? We're so sure we know who the good guys and the bad guys are. But you know what? This whole story is showing us again and again, God transforms hearts. And you never know who will turn to God in that moment. The pagan sailors, the evil Ninevites, even the king of Assyria. And let me just tell you, that guy's done some really terrible things if you look at history. Even the king turned to God. That should challenge us to our very core. Because I know we write off people every day. My neighbor's never going to be a Christian. My coworker's never going to turn to God. Our government's always going to be corrupt. Our, the Democratic Party is awful. The Republican Party is awful. The independents, they're just awful. We have all of our opinions about who is good and who is bad. Don't close yourself off to what God wants to do through you and in your life. And then the question, did Jonah's prophecy then go unfulfilled? He said in 40 days, Nineveh would be destroyed, but God didn't destroy Nineveh. But what did he actually say? If you look at the wording, and this is just a little extra bonus. If you look at the wording, he says, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And what that means in Hebrew has two completely different meanings, and we see them all throughout the Old Testament. One of them is destroyed, obliterated. The other one is changed, transformed. So Nineveh was overthrown. It was transformed from a city of evil to a city of repentance. God fulfilled the prophecy that he gave to Jonah, just not the way Jonah wanted or believed it would. And this is where the tragedy of the story comes in. Because you would think that this guy who just saw God calm a storm, save him from the belly of the whale, and then change an entire city, you would think that he would be praising God at this moment. But you know that seed of bitterness and resentment that he fostered in his heart towards the Ninevites? Who knows what it was? Maybe it was, look at us, Israel. We're so holy. We make all these sacrifices, and yet Nineveh prospers. Maybe he was jealous because Nineveh was such a mighty city, and Israel or Jerusalem was so small compared to that. Maybe he let jealousy and resentment grow in his heart. But somewhere along the lines, he had a seed of bitterness and unforgiveness towards these people to the point where even when God moved mightily in ways that we couldn't even think. I mean, the only person that I know of who might be able to imagine this is like Billy Graham. He saw tens of thousands of people come to God in repentance. He saw that type of move, and yet he hated what God had done. He challenged God and he said, this is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. I knew that you were compassionate and merciful. And we, we shudder. We think, oh, God, this evil Jonah, I could never. And yet, the whole point of this story is to put yourself in Jonah's shoes. Have you ever had a person that you just couldn't stand? Someone maybe who did great evil to you? How would you respond if all of a sudden God poured out his love and his blessings and his forgiveness on that person? My question is, who are we to withhold forgiveness when God has given it freely. We're told again and again, forgive others as I have forgiven you. 
It's just a challenge. I'm not saying that any of you would be like Jonah. But I am saying that when you have ears to hear the story, you can let the Holy Spirit work in your heart and isolate those instances. Man, it might be something as little as somebody said a bad word to you and so you stop talking to them. Where is God highlighting a moment in your heart where you decided that person was the bad guy? And God wants to give them forgiveness through you. The whole story of Jonah is that no matter who you are, God has a call on your life. A call to adventure. And there are people who can be saved through your willingness to follow God. If we're a church of people who are willing to follow and preach the word of God, then people will be saved from sin and death among us and outside of those doors. This God is still the God who can transform an entire city of evil people and bring them to repentance. Don't give up hope in San Clemente, in California, in the United States. We have a responsibility to pray for our enemies. We have a responsibility to pray for our president. We have a responsibility to pray for those who persecute us. But you can't just pray for them like we often do where we're like, oh, God, you know, make the president better than he is. No, we need hope and faith that God is the God of transformation and repentance. And, of course, there will be people who turn God down. But we don't get to make that decision. We only get to offer the plan of redemption and forgiveness that Jesus bought on the cross for every person. And then God can sort it out. God knows the heart. And like we read in the psalm, he deals with each one, each individual, according to their work. Amen? Have faith. Have hope. God wants to use you mightily to save. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, to learn from your scriptures. I pray that even as we're convicted of the places that we aren't following your purposes in our life, that we would also be emboldened and given courage and hope to face the evils and difficulties in our world, knowing that God has the power, that we don't have to be afraid. And God, I pray that we would be so shaped by love that there wouldn't be a person that we encounter, a person that we think of, that we count as unsavable or irredeemable. That we would not be the people declaring who's good and who's bad, but we would be the people declaring the truth of God and inviting people to repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll uh, continue with the uh, prayers of the people. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. That we all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. That your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. That they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacrament. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. That there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. That they may be delivered 
gave to the departed eternal rest. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. because of the uh, coronavirus are held back from meeting uh, as churches, some of our home churches, and, and coming here to the cathedral. We pray, Lord, that, uh, that the mighty power of the Holy Spirit will minister them right where they're at. Lord, and we, and we pray that you'd put them on our hearts, that we might uh, lift them up to you continually. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. With your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace. Great word. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. We have just a couple announcements today. I don't know, Bishop, you had anything, but the ones I've got are there's a lost and found table out front. We have some things that might belong to you. Check them out. We're cleaning up a little bit, and so uh, please do stop by there. Secondly, we've got Shrove Tuesday coming up. That's going to be February 16th, a couple days after Valentine's Day. One of my favorite times of the year. I mean, to be honest, right? Come on. Carte blanche, just come in and eat as many pancakes as you want. That's the, right? Okay. That's what I always learned growing up. Uh, and then we also have a catechism that we're going to be starting this Wednesday. If you're interested, talk to Father Powell or Father Ed because they know all the details on that. So anybody who will be 13 by the time of Easter is eligible and let us know if you're interested or you have a child who's interested. Yeah, and that includes anybody uh, out there in the, 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 that's watching us on the web that uh, isn't coming into the cathedral yet. Uh, make arrangements, call one uh, Father Lewis, and see how you can get into that class. Absolutely. Really important. Let's pray for the offering. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
baptized believers to join us and receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. Come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who've been here often and you who haven't been here long. You who've tried to follow and you who've failed, come because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his table. And this is where he wants you to meet him right here at the table of the Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do always and everywhere to give you thanks to Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we'll proclaim your mighty works, for you've called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory, and we join in their unending hymn of praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you're holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted. He took bread and broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup and again he gave thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ died, Christ Christ is risen, and Christ Christ will come again. again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Remember the church throughout the world and make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of the clergy. Remember especially those who are sick and firmed in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up this day. Connie and Susan and Carl and Serena, Naomi, Rachel, Nadia, Kyle, Sonja, Maria, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Kyla, David and Darcy, Bishop Davidson, the Bajetsky family, Jones family, Gage and Pamela, Barbara, Catherine, and our Marines and Sailors, Camp Pendleton. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, the martyrs, all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them to remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. The body and blood of Christ. The body of Christ. Christ. 
We had a, a men's uh, meeting yesterday morning, and uh, I didn't, I don't think I had an opportunity to commend you all uh, for the job you've done with your families during this time of, of COVID. And uh, because of the individual work that each one of you have done in your homes, along with the mothers and wives, uh, we've maintained a, a real integrity in who we are as a people. I want to just tell you that I see that so clearly, and uh, it's a very commendable thing. We're in the process now of uh, moving more and more back into a regular lifestyle as a church with our home groups and some of the other programs. And so I want you to be very sensitive to, uh, to participate, get involved in those. And uh, very, very quickly, we'll, we'll see uh, life get back uh, more and more to a, a normal pace of what we expect here at St. Michael's. Amen? Amen. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Say, Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. God loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. Best of all, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. You-